All right, welcome to an emergency edition of the Celtics Lab podcast. Dennis Schroeder, the menace, Dennis the menace, is on his way to Boston. And to break that all down is Alex Goldberg, Dr. Justin Quinn, and me, Sam Tepesbye. Welcome. So, gentlemen, first reactions. Let's go. I love it. I think Dennis Schroeder on a $6 million one-year deal is just such a low-risk move that has a real potential to be an incredible value signing. We have to realize this guy is two years removed from being a serious contender for six-man of the year. Last year on the Lakers, he was in a very different role as the starting point guard. He also got COVID at the end of the season, which I think pretty significantly impacted his production in particular in the playoffs where he was notably bad. Mm -hmm. But I do think that this represents a great opportunity for Schroeder to come to a team that's actually playing for something and to reestablish his value. I have always liked him more in a six man role than as a starter. I think that's what he's going to be for Boston and for a team that was noticeably lacking ball handling and creation after the losses of Kemba Walker and Evan Fournier. I think this is an absolutely terrific signing and one that really changes my perspective on the Celtics offseason as a whole. I have to say I agree. It's uh, really sad for Schroeder, not that he's joining the Celtics, but that he's in a position where he turned down an $84 million extension this March. And now he's looking at literally less than 10% of that. But this is probably the best possible opportunity he had out there after the, the cap space dried up to actually put himself in a position to showcase himself and really make a case for a larger check down the road. Yeah, uh, I, I echo all of that. Uh, Alex, just because I have it in front of me, Alex is alluding to one of the seasons. He played two seasons in OKC where he shared the court with some pretty ball dominant guards and other players. And he did phenomenally in 1920. As a six-man candidate, he was averaging nearly 30 minutes a game, but uh, only logged two starts, 18.9 points per game, 4.0 assists, 3.6 rebounds, and 38% from three. I think that part is critical. He stunk it up from three in Atlanta, but the three-point revolution was still in its infancy. He kind of stunk it up from three in L.A., but that team was a mess. But in Oklahoma City, he was a serious threat from three. And either either as a supplement to the Jays or trying to run the offense when they sit, I think that that's going to be critical. So that I agree with you, big time, Alex. Uh, just because it's very pertinent, let's go ahead and read the news as Dennis sees it. So Schroeder, I don't think is on Twitter, but he is on Instagram, and he recently posted the following. I'm proud to announce, this is my Schroeder impression, obviously. I'm proud to announce that for the 2021-22 season, I'll be playing with the Boston Celtics. This is one of the best franchises in NBA history, and it will be an honor to put on the green and white and do what I love. I'm going out there every night and leaving it all on the floor for the city. Who's ready? And importantly, two things. First, he uses the four-leaf clover emoji, not the three-leaf clover emoji. And second, his Photoshop is him wearing number 17. Uh, that belongs to John Havlicek. So sorry, Dennis, you can't wear that number, but welcome to the squad. All right, Justin, could you talk us through a little bit more of the minutia of the taxpayer of mid-level and what the structure of this deal is a little bit? Well, as it's being anticipated to be only for the one season, he will not be able to be re-signed at the 175% rate that a two-year MLE signing, signing might be eligible for. 
which means he's only going to be able to get 120% of what he gets now, which is not going to be enough to keep him here unless like literally he has a chance at a title. And that's the thing that he wants most. So right. this is almost certainly a, a one and done sort of situation. But as we were saying earlier, that's kind of what he, he wants. So there isn't going to be a hard cap like the taxpayer, Emily. So this gives Boston maximum flexibility moving forward in terms of pursuing, as you were putting it in our last podcast, big game hunting for um, a potential star in free agency. They may not, as we discussed extensively in our last episode, uh, even pursue that route, but they do have the ability to keep doing so now if they want to. Now, as far as what this means for Schroeder, uh, he can really showcase himself. He's going to have, you know, maybe not a starting role. He could mm-hmm. play his way into one. But as far as I know, well, we'll get to that in a second. That, that hasn't been decided exactly just yet. But it does give him a really good opportunity, perhaps the best opportunity, based on how he's done in the past as a sixth man, to, to really, you know, shine and re- rehabilitate his, his contract uh, value. And as Justin just alluded to, uh... This is Tuesday morning, a few hours after, or I guess, uh, when did the Schroeder nose officially drop last night? It's last af- afternoon, around like three or so. Okay, we we went to bed, we thought about it, we had our coffee, now we're talking about it. But yesterday, we talked about what might the Celtics do if they can't land Bradley Beal. So after you listen to this little pod, maybe go find yesterday's episode. Alex, Schroeder is six foot three, 172 pounds. Why is that important? Why is that important? Well, because the last time that the Celtics trotted out a lineup with a bunch of small guards, uh, one guard in particular by the name of Kemba Walker uh, got routinely eviscerated on the defensive end in large part because Kemba Walker is a bit shorter and a bit lighter than Dennis Schroeder. I like Dennis's positional versatility a little bit more than Kemba. The shooting is inconsistent and as a playmaker, he could be better, I think. But as a defender, I think you're going to see a noticeable improvement with the combo of Schroeder and Smart on the floor as opposed to Kemba and Smart. And in fact, I think even if Schroeder is coming in as the nominal six man, there's a reasonable chance that you could see him in closing lineups, particularly given that he has pre-established chemistry with one Al Horford from mm-hmm. his Atlanta Hawks days. So I like this uh, pickup because... Schroeder is a better defender than Kemba, even if he is a little inconsistent at that end. And that fits with the entire plan that the Celtics offseason has been about getting defensive role players who can switch everything and reestablishing the Celtics as a top five defensive team going into next year. And I think that this this signing fits well with that identity. Yeah, he. I was looking into some of his defensive metrics from the past few seasons and it's not overwhelming, but he's not Swiss cheese. I mean, he can, you can't necessarily hunt him. So I don't think he becomes a liability. And I do think at times he's going to be a positive defender. So that's huge. And you alluded to Marcus smart. So in the abstract, we have in our notes, let's grade this signing. I think we all think the value of this contract and taking a flyer of Dennis Schroeder is a big fat a or something like it. Right. A minus. I won't give them credit for something that kind of fell on their lap, 
Yeah. Well, I mean, it's hard, to get, it's hard to give them less than, than, than yeah, than Dr. Quinn. That's tough. Okay. I, I think a minus is appropriate. I think there's definitely a ch chance that Schroeder comes in and in the effort to hunt for a new contract, maybe doesn't fit into the team oriented identity as light as much as we would like him to. Okay. But I do, I do think that uh, it, there is a world, the, the more likely outcome is a positive one for the Celtics. So a minus feels right. Sure. Well, I was going to say, we're mostly ecstatic about this move in the abstract. If you wanted to send Kemba his old knees, his bad defense, and his fat contract away and replace him with this, you couldn't do better. But there's perhaps a problem brewing or an opportunity brewing, depending on what we think about it. What happens with Marcus Smart? So uh, I'll let you two kind of hash that out. Uh, Emo Odoka recently kind of tipped his hand on what to expect, but that might just be playing politics. So Alex, tell us about Udoka and then tell us about, you know, how does Schroeder fit into Marcus Smart, who notably needs a contract extension? Yeah, so um, Udoka's comments were really interesting. I'm just going to pull them up right now. But he basically said that um, Marcus Smart is going to get the ball more. Uh, Udoka specifically said that the Celtics are going to put the ball in Marcus Smart's hands more next season to be a facilitator with Tatum and Brown. Quote, he has asked for that. So mm -hmm. I think there is an understanding between Udoka, between Smart, the Jays, and basically everybody else in this organization that Marcus Smart enters this year as the starting point guard for the Boston Celtics. I think that's been the plan for some time, and I'm really excited to see how it works out because, frankly, I think it's time to see what you have there. Marcus has been playing uh, an off-ball role as a two-guard. He's been a bench guy. He hasn't really at any point in this entire run been the lead dog point guard for the Celtics. And I think that's arguably the position where he probably should be. So I'm really excited for this. Uh, similar, Keith Smith mentioning that Schroeder signed with Boston with no expectation of starting. And the wow. Celtics made it clear that Udoka will evaluate roles and minutes, and it will be his decision above all else. It will not be Brad Stevens. It will not be anybody else except Udoka who makes those lineup decisions. So all of that implies to me that they view Schroeder as a six man until proven otherwise. Marcus Smart is the starting point guard for this team. And as such, I still think that there's an incredibly high possibility that Marcus Smart is getting extended. Uh, I think the Celtics want to extend Marcus Smart. I think the question is whether Marcus Smart wants to take the $77 million that has been mentioned now or bet on himself in free agency next year. We'll see. I think you should talk to Schroeder. I think <laughs> I think that's part of this. I think that I, I actually do think on some level that bringing in Schroeder at six million, eh, you know, it's not entirely why they did this, but I, I don't think they hate that that's a quick reminder to Marcus. It's like maybe <laughs> the extension is the safer path here. And I think that's the one that the Celtics would prefer. As if the McCrispy couldn't get any better. Bacon and Ranch just entered the chat. The Bacon Ranch McCrispy, available at participating McDonald's for a limited time. Ba -da -ba -ba -ba. So I, I think Marcus is the big conclusion to take away from this is that Marcus is the starting point guard until proven otherwise. I do think that there is a world where I agree with everything you just said completely. 
it also gives them the ability, should they really do feel that they aren't going to be able to get an extension done with him, yeah, that they can move on from him and not be gutted at the point guard position with Schroeder. But they will, they'll still have to address it later on because Schroeder is not coming back for 120% of $6 million. It's just too early for me to do the math, <laughs> but $7.4 million? I don't know, whatever it is. And um what offhand do either of you know the when the extension window closes? Uh, I believe it closes on the first day of the new new league year. Yeah, that's that sounds about right. All right, so yeah, it it lights a little bit of a fire under Smart's financial belly, maybe. Uh, but I do think that Schroeder, as we talked about with OKC, knows how to share back backcourt. And speaking of which, just quickly, what if you had to guess would be kind of the backcourt rotation, uh, assuming Chris Dunn is still on the team, assuming Pritchard is healthy and continues to play kind of combo guard, assuming maybe Romeo Langford is meant to handle the ball more. What do you, what is your ideal guard rotation? So I, uh, I do have to say, Cam, I don't think it's a guarantee that Chris Dunn is on this team for the opening day roster. At this point, the Celtics guard depth chart is a little heavy. And I imagine who saw that coming, right? (laughs) I know. Uh, So I imagine that they are probably going to look to move one of the guards before the season starts. And Dunn seems to me to be the most likely candidate for that, possibly for some wing depth. Um, so I envision going into the starting lineup uh, and onward for this year. I think Smart is a confident lock at the one guard position. And I think the plan is to start off the year with Josh Richardson at the two. Yeah. Um, I think that both of those guys bring a rugged defensive identity that Udoka has been really trying to push. So I would bet that those two are your opening night starting guards. Then after them, I think it's Schroeder and Neesmith uh, in all likelihood. Neesmith had 33 points last night in Summer League, and I think the Celtics really want to factor him into the rotation going forward. And then with the deep bench of uh, Pritchard, and Langford is interesting because I think they do want to use Langford as a guard and a ball handler more, but because there are five other ball handlers or guards potentially in front of him, I think Langford might wind up doing more time at the three position this year, which is not necessarily a bad thing, but I think that is the more likely area where he's going to find minutes. I will add that one potential casualty of this signing is Yamadar. It's possible mm-hmm. that Yamadar could still join the Celtics this season, but my understanding is that he would only be able to sign a maximum of two-year minimum contract, which may not appeal to him and may not appeal to the Celtics either, particularly if they like what they see. And, you know, I mean, he, he didn't have such a great game in his last summer, summer league game against Denver. But he was very impressive in his debut, and they may not want the lack of control that giving him a two-year minimum would would possibly give them. But it's not definitely out of the question. Keeping an eye on Dunn, I think, is going to tell us a lot about Yamadar's future as well, because if he stays on the team, there's just no way he's joining us, I think. Yeah, uh, I think around the edges, a lot of changes are to come, but this is something like the 10-man depth chart, smart and shrewder. Richardson and Pritchard, Jalen and Neesmith, Tatum, Horford, and then Rob Williams and Cantor. That's not, that's a good team. That's fun. Go listen to our big game hunting podcast and tell us otherwise, but I like that team a lot. 
just a few other bits and pieces that we didn't get to, or rather got cut from our yesterday podcast. Supposedly the Celtics had interest in Lori Markinen, who still probably, he's probably not playing in Chicago, so needs a home. Any thoughts there, or does this kind of close the book on that, especially from a financial perspective, Justin? I do think there's a possibility that we could see some contracts folded together in a pursuit of Larry Markkanen. They We need to find a third team for the Celtics to send outgoing salary because Chicago doesn't want any back. Basically, they're looking at a bit of a crunch over there because of their, their uh, shall we say, arms race in the East. That doesn't necessarily mean that Boston is going to go for the Markkanen uh, situation. The the reporting is that, that the Celtics have been one of the several teams calling about Larry Markkanen, who has been basically frozen out of Chicago plans in a very similar situation to Schroeder, but he's looking for a contract in the realm of, I think, like 12 to $15 million, which would have to be done by a sign-in trade. And we'd have to see a lot of movement on Boston's end to get to a point where it was even possible. I'm not even sure it is possible at this point. Uh, I haven't really taken a look at it, but it would definitely require a lot of cap gymnastics to happen. Mm-hmm. The thing about Markinen is that I think that the Celtics would like to find Markinen, but as you mentioned, um, Justin, I think there's going to be a lot of different uh, kind of hurdles to that. The more important thing to note is that they are looking for a player like Larry Markinen. Mm-hmm. I think that um, the Celtics are short at the wing depth position right now, particularly backup power forward. They don't have an obvious replacement to come in and uh, give Jason Tatum relief at the four position where he is going to be playing for most of this year. So I would bet that the Celtics are looking to flip Chris Dunn, potentially Bruno Fernando and other pieces uh, to kind of bolster the depth at that four position. I don't yeah. think it's out of the question that they view Grant Williams as uh, a, an important part there. And I think that the possibility of Grant having a bounce back year in a new system can't be overlooked but in an ideal world, they definitely want some depth there, preferably a vet, I think. All right. Well, let's get out of here on this, and we could do a whole podcast on it, really. Ken, I just have one more thing to say before we get into that, sorry, uh, which is that the Dennis Schroeder um, acquisition, we've all talked about how we really like it. There is one downside, which is that it does mean that the dream of getting Isaiah Thomas on the Celtics for this year is likely dead. And I just want to say a personal uh, plea to NBA GMs, sign Isaiah Thomas to a contract. Come on. This guy is better than your 13th man. I don't care who your 13th man is. Isaiah Thomas is better than that guy. He just dropped 81 in a pro-am game. This dude can help contribute to a winning basketball team, even if he is not a starter, even if he is not a sixth man. Isaiah can give you something. NBA GMs, particularly if you whiffed on a big point guard target like Kyle Lowry or Lonzo Ball, go get Isaiah Thomas, call him up and give him a job. Well, that's way better than I thought you were going to talk about how Dennis Schroeder might be anti-vax. And I was pretty bummed to have to talk about that. But Isaiah Thomas is way more exciting. Anyways, let's end on a different bombshell. Uh, Again, this could be a whole dang podcast, but we're going to do it in 90 seconds. Assuming the only moves left are kind of on the margins. How do we grade this Celtics offseason? So the Richards, the starting with the Walker trade, ending right now with the Schroeder move, and maybe there's a teeny bit of an incomplete or you can get points back. How are you grading this offseason for the Celtics? 
I like this uh, offseason as a B-plus for the Celtics. I think that they acquired some quality role players that can help them win games during the regular season. I think that they made some trades that they had to do that um, maybe down the line will look worse. We'll see. Uh, I think given the circumstances, though, the Horford-Kemba swap was pretty much a no-brainer. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the most important thing is that they cleared max cap space potentially for next year. So going into this year, I think they're going to field a tough, physical, annoying Eastern Conference playoff team. I don't know that they are a title contender, and I don't know that there was ever really a path for them to get there this offseason. But I do think that for the most part, the moves that they made were patient, shrewd, and fairly effective. So B plus for me. I'll give Brad a B plus if we're judging Brad what he had to work with. The Celtics as an organization more generally, I'm going to grade a C plus just because this this inability to feel the contender was potentially something that we could have and we have litigated extensively in the past as predictable. And as a result, I'm going to have to give the organization itself just a C plus because some of this was preventable. I'm actually, I'm going to use the exact same logic to give the Celtics an A, which tells you something about Justin and my different teaching styles. So again, you have a bunch of teachers on the horn and sometimes you give an assignment, say it's, let's write a paper on World War II. And somewhere in the process, you realize, oh my God, these students don't even know what a comma is. The ask is way too big. I can't grade them fairly. This is too big of an assignment. They weren't ready to be graded on how well they can write a five paragraph essay. And to that end, it doesn't feel, Justin, to your point, fair to give the Brad Stevens administration a hearty uh, shellacking for a poor showing because really the previous assignment is when they dropped the ball and they weren't ready for this assignment. So given the circumstances with my grading pen in hand, I would give this Celtics regime an A because the ask was too big. There was some other work that needed to get done first. And I think that this was the perfect step forward. So Alex, to your point, opening up the books, pivoting from Walker, given the circumstances, I can't realistically see how any other team could have done any better short of some sort of miracle. So if you disagree, go listen to our big game hunting podcast that we've alluded to several times. And you can see for yourself that the opportunity for fireworks was never that big. Otherwise, thanks for listening. If you like the music at the top, that's Define Sweater. Alex plays bass for those those funky weirdos. If you found this podcast on Celtics Wire, well, then you like Justin Quinn's work a lot. And I'm just here for the ride. Thanks for listening.